Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, we read this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. Let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord to just bless this time in his word. Father, we are once again grateful to gather as your church. God, to praise the name of Jesus, to intentionally fix our eyes on the cross together, collectively, to sing songs together, and God, to hear your word together. And so we ask, God, that through your spirit, you would minister to us this morning. God, that you would teach us. That you would, Lord, please just further push in the truths of the gospel into our minds and hearts. For those of us today who are weary from either sickness or sin, God, that the gospel would comfort them and you'd minister them. For those of us today who are just going through life and things seem to be good, God, I pray that you would just please push the gospel further into our hearts. We just lead us to worship you this morning. We are so thankful for your word. We're thankful, God, for your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm excited to preach the word this morning, even though it is a little hot and a little sticky up here. <laughs> um, but I'm just always thankful to just preach God's word and to sit under the teaching of God's word because that's what I need. I need multiple exposures to the gospel day in and day out. And I'm, sa- I'm so thankful that here at Apostles Church, not only do we get that from the preaching, but we get that through the fellowship. So I'm just happy to be here. Now, in today's portion of scripture, we're going to consider just one big question, and it's kind of a simpler question, but I like it. I think we can answer it. How do we live like Jesus? How do we live like Jesus? Now, it sounds like a children's Sunday school question, which I'm okay with, but it's really a big question, right? How do we messed up, fickle, faint of heart, sinners, live the way God desires us to. Now we're told to live like Christ. We know that. The apostle tells us in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he exhorts the Corinthian church to imitate Christ as he imitates Christ. I mean, excuse me, to imitate him as he imitates Christ. The apostle Peter encourages the believers to follow Christ's example of righteousness, especially in suffering. In 1 Peter 2.21, he says, follow in Jesus's footsteps. The Apostle John clearly states in 1 John 2, 6, whoever says he abides in him, speaking of Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
Translation, if you're a Christian, you should display Jesus. Now, the challenging part isn't knowing that. I think as Christians, we know that. The challenging part is just living that. How do we live like Christ? WWJD, what would Jesus do, is not always our moment-by-moment mantra. Because the problem is, is we can be impatient. We can be unkind or rude. We can be selfish. We can lack compassion, lack discipline, lack joy, and we most certainly can lack grace towards each other. We can wear any one of those attitudes throughout our day, even when we know we're supposed to imitate Christ. Christ is the opposite of all those things. Jesus, we know through the word that he never lacks patience with us. His patience never runs out towards you and towards me. He's always tender and gentle towards us. He never raises his voice or is heavy-handed. He is completely and perfectly selfless, so much so that he died for you and me. He overflows with grace and mercy and joy and peace. Jesus loves us so fiercely, yes, us, that he died for us to his own hurt. He is gentle and lowly in heart, and it is in him that we find our rest, Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 tells us. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus and less like me. And I think we all want to be more like Jesus and less like me and less like us. Now, in our text this morning, Paul is going to give us insight on how this Christ-likeness that we long for daily is a reality. It's a reality by walking in the Spirit. All who live in the Spirit can and will resemble Christ. Now, last week we considered the freedom Christians have in Christ. The Apostle Paul has gone to great lengths to explain that we are no longer under law, but are now by faith united to Christ who fulfilled the law on our behalf. This is the good news of the gospel that Paul has been constantly exposing us to throughout this letter and throughout this series in Galatians. That at one time we were separated from God due to our sin, but God in his love sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to die in our place He then rose from the grave after three days, is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and advocating for us. By faith in Christ, you and I have been justified, declared innocent, and restored to right relationship with our creator. Sin has no power over us. Death has lost its sing. We are free in Christ. This is great news. This is great news for those who are in Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, There is no amount of good works that can bring you any closer than you are to Jesus and there are no amount of bad works that can move you any farther than you are from Jesus because you are in Christ by faith and not by your works. This is why we celebrate the gospel every single Sunday at Apostles Church and every single day as Christians, we should be waking up celebrating this glorious truth. But there is a potential danger here. The danger is the sinful desires to use our liberties as license to live however we want. The danger is that we can use our liberty, our freedom in Christ, as license to live however we want. This is what Pastor Daniel had preached on this last Sunday. And when Christians consider their liberty as license to live any way they want, it usually manifests itself in self-serving 
self-loving and self-centered living. Paul calls this fleshly living. And when we live in the flesh, we revert back to our fallen sinful desires. And it's this danger that Paul warns us about here in Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Allow me to read it to you again. For you were called the freedom brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is saying this freedom we now have is not license to live however we want. Rather, it's liberation to live the way God intended us to live, which is in loving communion with him and with each other. And here's what he's getting at. Although we are free from the law, he said this over and over and over again in the book of Galatians, we are free from the law. We're no longer under the law. What he's saying is we are still responsible to live out the essence of the law, which is the law of love. Now Paul brings this up because the Galatian church appears to be struggling in the loving one another department. In verse 15 of chapter 5, he describes the Galatian church as biting and devouring one another, which doesn't sound very loving to me. It actually reminds me of my childhood when my siblings and I would get in fights. There was definitely biting and it sounded more like devouring, but this is what the problem with the Galatian church was. They were not loving each other. They were in strife. They were bitter. They were fighting. They were in disagreements and they were disjointed. Now, considering the context of the book of Galatians, this lack of love that we are reading about was born out of distorted gospel preaching in the church, which created distorted gospel culture in the church. Now, remember, false teachers had come in. They've crept into the Galatian church. They began teaching another gospel, a gospel of works and not of faith, which is no gospel at all. And when there is no gospel, the door of the church is left wide open for division, strife, and all other kinds of anti-gospel fruit that we've been reading about. So far, Paul has gone to great lengths to restore gospel doctrine in the church, and now Paul is pivoting here. He is trying to address and restore gospel culture in the church. It says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Hmm, okay. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The big question is, how do we do this? What is Paul talking about here exactly? What does it look like to walk by the Spirit? and not gratify the flesh. Simply put, the original question, how do we live more like Jesus? Now to understand what Paul is saying here, I think we need to answer a few questions. Number one, what is the flesh? And number two, who is the spirit? What is the flesh and who is the spirit? Let's let's start with the flesh. Now the word flesh is translated from the Greek word sarx which is commonly referring to sinful or fleshly nature. In other words, the flesh spoken of here is the part of our hearts that chases after godlessness, that chases after sin. It's the desire to disobey God. Now, this fleshly nature was born out of disobedience back in the Garden of Eden when our first ancestors defied God by doing what they desired opposed to what God desired. And from that point on, all mankind has been born with this native desire for godlessness to do what we think is best opposed to what God knows is best. In verse 19 and 21, Paul gives us a pretty extensive list of what the flesh desires and produces, 
I'll read it again for you, Galatians 5, 19-21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but it does a good job at covering some of the general works of our sinful nature. And let me point out that this list includes both actions, things that we physically do, and attitudes, thoughts and motives that dictate how we act. Here's the list, kind of categorized. He first categorized it as acts of sexual morality, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality. Acts of false religion, idolatry, sorcery. Acts of substance abuse, drunkenness, out of control partying. And he dedicates a large portion of this list to sinful attitudes towards one another. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. Now let me point out a few things about this list here. First, notice with me that all of these works of the flesh, they involve God's good creation taken out of proper context. God's good creation taken out of proper context. Sexual immorality, a deviation from a good thing. Sex, which God created for the marriage covenant. False worship, a deviation from a good thing. We were created as beings that desire to worship. True worship. Substance abuse, a deviation from a good thing, abusing and manipulating that which God has created. And then relational conflict, a deviation from a good thing, from community, from friendship, from family, from relationships. Notice that all of these fleshly deviations from God's original and good context have come from our own desire to do what we think is best opposed to what God knows is best. When we choose to do the things outside of God's good context, we choose to live by the flesh. Now also notice with me how the lion's share of fleshly works fall under the category of what we would call respectable sins. Basically sins that we oftentimes think are lesser sins than the big ones like adultery or murder or stealing. The Bible teaches that all sin, the wages of all sin, is death. Yes, there are different physical consequences to different types of sin, but pay attention here. Pay attention to how the seemingly less than sins likely, like jealousy, anger, strife, are on the same list as sexual morality, sorcery, and orgies. So if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking that God views your tax evasion as a less offensive thing than the guy who committed adultery on his wife, let me tell you this morning, that's not what God thinks. If you're thinking that your habitual gossip and slander is less offensive to God than the girl who was caught stealing, let me tell you, it's not. All sin proceeds from the flesh and is anti-God. I think the list serves as a good reminder that any deviation from God's original harmonious design for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, for us to love and commune with God, any deviation from those things are in fact godless behavior born of our fleshly desires. So I ask you this morning, can you identify with any of these works of the flesh in your own life? Don't raise your hand and don't yell something out. (laughs) Just think about that. Ponder that. I'm not talking about slips and falls 
We all fall on our face. We all sin against God at times. The Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle John makes it crystal clear that when we do sin, Jesus advocates for us. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So be encouraged that Jesus knows our weakness, that Jesus sympathizes with us, that Jesus draws near to us in our sin, and both brings us to the Father as well as defends us before the Father. And although we still sin, we righteously stand in Christ, sealed until the day of redemption. But what I'm talking about here is ongoing, habitual practicing of things like gossip, slander, uncontrolled anger, jealousy, drunkenness, pornography, lying, stealing, resenting, or any other fleshly work that our heart can desire. If you can identify habitual fleshly works in your life, things like these, things that you keep practicing, things that you have no desire to change, Paul has a strong warning for you in our next part of this verse, Galatians 5.2, or excuse me, 5.21. Those who do such things, the works of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are identifying consistent works of the flesh in your life and seeing no fruit of the spirit in your life, this passage of scripture should cause you to pause and to think. And let me urge you, if this is you, Repent and take refuge in Jesus this morning because he is so quick to forgive. Now in contrast with the flesh, we have the spirit. Who is the spirit? Now 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus gave one of the most comforting promises to his disciples. Now at the time it wasn't super comforting because with this wonderful promise he gives came the not so wonderful news that Jesus would be leaving them physically speaking, and that did not fit into their Roman conquest plans, the disciples, that is. But the comforting promise was that when Jesus' time for departure came, the Father was going to send another to dwell with them. Jesus spoke about this in the Gospel of John right after he announced his future exit. John 14, verses 15 through 17, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is teaching here that the Holy Spirit will come and teach them all things, John 14, 26. Remind them of all things Jesus had taught them, John 14, 26. Convict the world of sin and righteousness, John 16, 8. Guide them into all truth and holiness, John 16, 13. And most wonderfully, he will give them the power to live in such a way that will glorify God and display Christ's beauty to the world. John 16, 13 through 15. Jesus says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Ever since the coming of the Holy Spirit, 
Christians on this side of the cross have had the incomprehensible and the forever comforting reality of being indwelt by the promised Holy Spirit who makes all things new. First Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are made new. New heart, new delights, new hopes, new desires. We are given a new nature. How amazing is that? How wonderful is that? What great news. If you put your faith in Jesus, then you know what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit takes up residence and begins conforming us in the image of Christ. We call this sanctification. But here's the problem. Here can be the problem is we still sin. So what gives? Why do we keep sinning? When we are given a new nature, that does not mean the old nature ceases to exist. What that means is that we've been given a new, dominant, and opposing nature. A nature that has power and life and truth that enables us to live the way God desires us to and to live the way we desire to now that we are in Christ. But this old nature, it does not go quietly. In fact, Paul describes the flesh as actively and persistently waging war on the spirit and vice versa. Verse 17 says this, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. He's saying that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are at each other's throats, each trying to lead us according to their nature. You see, before the spirit of God had entered into our hearts, the flesh was king of the castle, so to speak. But upon receiving the gospel, okay. I found this on the web, but what is the date of God and entering your hearts the flesh was king of the castle? King of the castle, Siri is trying to answer me. <laughs> Good old Siri. Someone's listening. <laughs> uh, upon receiving the gospel by faith, the flesh the flesh, excuse me, was dethroned. And the spirit immediately started renovating our hearts and our lives. And although the war is over. Although God won, we are in Christ. Nothing can snatch us from God's hand. This does not stop the flesh from fighting for our heart's desires daily. Daily. If you're a Christian here today, then you understand this internal struggle quite well. Because every day, we feel the old nature rise up and oppose our new nature. We feel it when someone or something begins to annoy us or to anger us, or to frustrate us, or to cause us to think wickedly, or to perhaps cause us to murmur or complain. We feel these desires every day. And although we are no longer slaves to sin, the flesh sometimes wins those battles. This is the great internal struggle that we have as Christians and will experience up until the day we behold Christ in glory. But until that day, Paul is saying, we must resist the desires of the flesh. And to do that, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we walk by the Spirit so that we do not gratify the desires of the flesh? Now this phrase, walk by the Spirit, it can be rendered live in the Spirit or abide in the Spirit. 
And if we render it that way, a quick detour of the Gospel of John will provide more clarity on this, what it means to walk by the Spirit. Now, sandwiched in between Jesus' teaching on the coming Holy Spirit in John 14 and the work of the Holy Spirit in John 16, Jesus pulls out this metaphor about him being the vine or the tree and his followers being the branches. Let me read it to you in John 15, verses 4 through 8. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown, into, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. This metaphor that Jesus gives is fitting because the Apostle Paul uses the same garden, growth, fruit imagery to later describe what it means to bear fruit of the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And Daniel will be preaching on that next Sunday. But I want to point out one word that is used by Jesus here, and that word is abide. Abide. This word is also referenced by the Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle John, 1 John 2 6, when he said, Whoever abides in Christ ought to live as he lived. Abide is a word used to describe active dwelling or remaining. It's both a, a word that describes resting in a place but also being fixed or clinging to a place. Jesus uses this word picture of a branch to a tree, actively drawing the nutrition and the sugars it needs to produce healthy fruit. A branch both rests on the tree while actively is fixed to the tree, drawing life from it. Branches live by the tree. Jesus is saying here, to live for me and to live like me, you have to abide in me. You must be connected to me. You must be drawing life from me. John 16, remember? When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Check this out. How do we abide in him? We do so by consciously and consistently drawing from the life, teaching, and power and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit connects us to Christ. Think about it. Who speaks to us on behalf of Christ? Who speaks to Christ on behalf of us? Who teaches us Christ's word? who convicts us of our sin, who comforts us on behalf of Christ, who directs us and encourages us on behalf of Christ. It's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does these things in our life. He guides us by Christ's word. He speaks to us on Christ's authority. He glorifies Jesus to us and through us. He gives to us what is Jesus's, his power, his righteousness, his wisdom, his sonship through faith. I mean, how rad is the Holy Spirit? 
We abide in Christ through living by the Spirit. Now, I know a lot of what I'm saying here is outside of our control, right? A lot of what I'm saying here is, it is God who both gives the Spirit, it is God who sustains the Spirit, or we're sustained by the Spirit. So our role can seem very passive when it comes to abiding in Christ. But here's another rad thing about the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ability to respond to him. The Holy Spirit gives us the, rebil- the ability to respond, to obey him. We respond by listening. When he teaches us and, and, and illuminates Christ's word to us, we respond by learning. I mean, you're doing it right now. You're in church hearing God's word and we're praying and praying that the Holy Spirit ministers to us and teaches us Christ's word. We're able to respond by submitting, by obeying Christ's commands, by trusting and obeying and loving. Walking by the Spirit involves our active listening. Saturating our hearts and minds in Christ's holy word as the Spirit teaches. It's doing what Colossians 3.16 encourages us to do, letting the word of Christ dwell or abide in us richly day in and day out. We walk by the Spirit by practicing the presence of God day in and day out, being sensitive to his nearness, drawing from Christ's love and grace through the Spirit in order to genuinely desire to serve, please, and glorify him. Simply put, to walk by the Spirit is to put on Christ. Put on Christ. This is why Paul could simply write in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Walking by the Spirit is, in fact, abiding in Christ. So in closing, church, let us praise God for the Spirit that he has given to us. Amen? Let us praise God for the freedom from the flesh that he has purchased for us. Amen? Let us actively rest in Christ as we fill our minds with the gospel and the truth of Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that your spirit teaches us. We're so thankful that you've given us your Holy Spirit and you've given him to us forever, that he resides in us, that he's taken up residence in us. God, he's patiently teaching us and leading us and directing us that he'll never leave us, that he's sealed us unto the day of salvation. We're just very grateful for that. We're very thankful for him. I ask God as, as Christians who have your spirit in them, Lord, that you would please help us to understand the power that's been gifted to us in the Holy Spirit. God, we know that the flesh flares up every single day. We ask God that our minds would be so captivated by Christ that we would make zero provisions for the flesh. We ask, God, that you would just help us to continually rest in the gospel. And Lord, we're so thankful that your word encourages and tells us and reminds us that even when we do sin, which we do, which we will, God, that Christ is our advocate. That Christ is not only our high priest who has atoned for our sin, but he is the one standing before you and us and just saying this is this individual Ryan this church they stand righteous because of what I have done 
Thank you for that promise. Thank you for that gospel good news. So we love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.